I want to share something with you, and I'll, I'll try to be fairly brief this morning because I do want to give plenty of time at the end, but I want to get this message out to you. Really, a, a text of Scripture that touched my heart. Uh, there's, grace, there's grace in this text of Scripture, and there's really more grace than I thought there was there because the way that, the way that, I, that I receive messages and the way I work through messages, I have to spend time in the message. I have to spend time there. If I don't spend time there, my heart doesn't warm to it. Um, and as I spent time in this text of Scripture, it just I saw some things there in this lady's life that is a real blessing to all of us. And I, it ministered to me, and I trust it will minister to you. I was actually ministered in the worship service. Stephanie, thank you in the worship team. I was very ministered to in this worship service today. And some, some of the modern songs that repeat things over and over again or get a little hollow, but these words today, it was like the Holy Spirit was saying that God does not forsake those who seeks his face. It was just like that was ministering to my heart. And he was saying to us, don't you know that if you will seek me, I'll never forsake you and I'll meet your need. I want you to look with me and if you would just watch the screen here, Hebrews 11, verse 11 and 12. I want you to look at these words with me. Here's what the text says. By faith, even Sarah. I want to stop there a moment. Let that, I want that to settle in upon you. By faith, even Sarah. That's the title of my message today. Even Sarah. Now, I'm going to read 11 and 12, but I want to just stop. Just introductory, I want to just say a couple things about this. That Sarah is in the hall of faith. I mean, these are those that God puts before us as his people. He commends them to us and said, says to us, these are those that I want you to emulate. These are those that walked by faith and overcame great challenges by faith. And we see Abel, and we see Enoch, and we see others. And then we see this lady, Sarah. In fact, there's two ladies in the Hall of Faith. They're very opposite. One is Rahab, and the other is this woman of God married to the prophet Abraham. And her name is Sarah. Now, it's really grace that she's here. You say, how is it grace? It's grace because when I read the Old Testament narrative of Sarah, I don't see faith. I see doubt. Nowhere did we really see strong faith. But yet she's here. Now read it with me or let me read it and listen, please. By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive. In other words, she didn't have the ability within herself what God had said, the promise that God gave her and Abraham was so far beyond them, completely impossible. How did she do it? She didn't do it because she was able to do it. She received the ability. And, and I tell you, where this prayer service at the end came into my spirit is from this text right here. If we're going to do a work for God, if we're going to serve the Lord and do what He's called us to do, it's not in ourselves. We have to receive the ability. Because it's not by might, 
nor is it by power, but it is by my spirit, says the Lord. He that glories, let him glory in the Lord. She received the ability to conceive. Even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, there was born even to one man, and to him as good as dead at that. As many as descendants, as the stars of heaven in number, innumerable as the sands which are by the seashore. Even Sarah. When the Lord called Abraham, he also called Sarah. Sarah was his partner in faith. And not only did Abraham need faith, but Abraham needed Sarah to have faith also. If you're a husband, you you need your wife to have faith with you. If you're a pastor, you need your church to have faith that you serve. My faith is not enough. We need all of our faith together. Why? Because we're partners in this faith journey. And when the Lord gave promises to Abraham, sometimes I think Sarah gets overlooked. She kind of is in the background back there. She's part of the story, but, but we talk about Abraham so much. But Sarah's a part of this. And the promises that God gave Abraham, the Lord also gave to his partner, Sarah, even Sarah. And those promises are a promise of a people, the Jewish nation, of whom our Savior Jesus would come. The promise of provision, I will bless you, that's monetary. The promise of a prominent name, I will make your name great. And then there is the promise that proclamation is involved in all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And that means gospel proclamation to the whole world through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Abraham and Sarah are the first two Gentiles. And they were Gentiles. They are the first two Gentiles to be called Hebrews. It's where it starts. The world had turned away from God in rebellion again. And now God starts over. And in his wisdom, he chooses two people that we would have never known. We would have never heard about them. They would have never come to our mind except for God. God, in his electing wisdom, chose Abraham and Sarah And they're the first to be called Hebrews, a Hebrew, the Hebrew nation. We find it in Genesis 14, 13. We find this. It said, and then the fugitive came and told Abraham, the Hebrew. Hebrew comes from the name Eber found in another chapter. And it means one who crosses over to another place. And isn't that what Abraham did? He heard the call of God, go to a land that I will show you. And he left Ur and he crossed over to another place called Canaan. And there he dwelt. He didn't know where he was going, but completely trusting the God who had called him. But Sarah was his partner. She was his partner in the promises, in the destiny 
in this, in this drama of redemption where God would bring Jesus into the world, she plays a vital role. And she is unique to the redemptive story. There's some unique things about Sarah. Paul, when talking about the two covenants, law and grace, he says that Hagar is like the earthly Jerusalem. And he indicates that Sarah is like the heavenly Jerusalem. And it says, the mother of us all. It says it implicitly, not explicitly, but that's what it means. You see, Hagar represents the law that binds. Sarah represents God's promise and the grace of God that comes to our Lord Jesus Christ. She's, Abraham is called the father of our faith. We could call Sarah the mother of our faith. And yet she struggles with her faith. You ever struggle with your faith? I'll be the first in that line. There's another unique thing about Sarah. And that is her extraordinary beauty. Extraordinary beauty. In fact, even up into her old age, the scripture seems to indicate that she retained her beauty and her loveliness. Genesis 12 and 11 says this, And it came to pass when they came close to entering Egypt that, she, that he, Abraham, said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a, beautiful, you are a woman of beautiful countenance. The same chapter, verse 14. So it was when Abraham came to Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman that she was very beautiful. Now, I want to read to you a comment from a rabbi. And this comment capsulizes this unique beauty, this unique loveliness that Sarah had. Here's what it says, and I quote, Sarah seems to have had beauty that grew more attractive with the passing years. Of the, of the things that are unfavorable to the preservation of beauty, the Orientals count travel. Count travel. What did Abraham and Sarah? They traveled everywhere. They count travel as one of the most baneful, even fatal to beauty, said the rabbi, Gustav Gottio. Yet when Sarah arrived after a long journey through the dusty deserts and under the scorching sun at the frontiers of Egypt, she was more beautiful than ever. And this explains the curious speech of Abraham to his wife at that juncture. Now I know that you are a beautiful woman to look at. He asked, did he not know this before? No, he says, not convincingly, explains the rabbi. And as after he had seen and even travel had left no touch upon her countenance. Even when she was 90 years of age, she was so lovely that Abraham feared that the kings around him would kill him because of her bewitching beauty, which Pharaoh and Abimelech did as one of the most beautiful women who had ever lived. We can imagine that wherever she journeyed, that admiring eyes of all were cast upon her. Sarah is renowned for her 
loveliness. And yet for all of her loveliness, there was a sorrow in her heart. For all of her beauty, her beauty could not quench this sorrow, this battle that God in His will allowed her to fight and battle all the way until she was 90 years of age. As beautiful as she was, the scripture says she was barren. She was barren. Sarah here is included in Hebrews 11 as a person of faith. Hear this. And yet, as I said, as I read this text this week, my heart was very touched, warm to this passage. Because I realize that even though she is in the hall of faith, She's a person who struggled with her faith. To me, her being included in Hebrews 11 is a testimony. Hear me, because this is for many of you, all of us. It's a testimony of this, that doubts can be overcome. And faith failures are not final and they're not fatal if we'll just keep moving toward God. Did you hear that? See, because as I read the Bible over and over again in poor its pages, I realize something about our God, and that is this, that God moves in ways. God chooses to move in ways, and He, choose, he chooses to put His people time and time and time again in, in places that completely magnify His grace and exalt His power. We've seen Him do it over and over and over again. In sovereignty, God will allow His people to go through such difficult and impossible things because it magnifies him and him alone. We read it as way of illustration in Romans 9, 17. Here's what it says. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. God said, Pharaoh, I've raised you up, and, and I'm going to use you to persecute my people, and, and the Red Sea is going to be in front of my people. And the, your army is going to be behind my people. And they're going to be in a completely po- impossible situation. Why would God do that? To magnify His power. To magnify that He's the God that knows no impossibilities. And He can do the miraculous. And in a sense, that is exactly what we have in the story of Sarah's barrenness. She comes to a point of impossibility, and it, not only her barrenness, now, later, as you read on in the, in the Genesis narrative, not only barrenness, her entire life, now she's 90 years old, and if anything's going to happen, it has to be God, because it's impossible in the natural. Hear this, and I hope they got this in my PowerPoint. I want you to remember this. God gives His promises Then God guides us toward His promises. And then finally, God fulfills His promises. And what God did with Abraham and Sarah, they said, this is what my promise is for you specifically. And then God took 25 years moving them on a faith journey toward the promise. But in the end, as impossible as it looked, God did what He said. 
Hear this. God will do what he says he shall do. Heaven and earth will pass away, but he said, my word shall never pass away. Hallelujah. We can trust the promises of the Lord. What we learn from Sarah is this. Sarah's life teaches us that a faith failure does not need to be final. And that weak faith can grow and become strong faith. Think about this quickly. Sarah's faith journey begins when Abraham's journey began. Sarah's like in the background. We forget about her. But when Abraham got, was on the journey, Sarah was right there with him. And the promises that God gave them were multiplied, were multiple promises. It wasn't just one. You know, the, somebody said the promises, all the promises in the book are mine. There's so many wonderful promises. One of the promises that God gave them is the Lord said, I will bless you. God is a blessing God. And when God said, I will bless you, he meant material blessings. That's what it meant to them. Now, I want to just have a little aside here for just give me two or three minutes here. Because I want to touch on this. It seems to be something very current right now. So this promise that I will bless you was a promise, I would call it a personal blessing, personal material blessing. Abraham became very rich in livestock and cattle and men servants and maidservants, even had a, an army that took down four or five other, or four other armies, four other groups of soldiers, 318 trained men. He became very wealthy. God promised him material blessing. Here's the question that I would ask us to think very thoughtfully through this. How do we understand the blessing of the Lord? I'm talking about the material blessing of the Lord as New Testament believers. Well, I would give you, I would give you one little caution, and that is this. It's unwise to take a, a specific word to an Old Testament patriarch and then apply it to every single Christian that ever lives. That We need to be very cautious about that. What we need to do is be very thoughtful because we have a whole Bible, and so we need to take all of what the Bible says on these matters. Here's what I would say to you. The Lord said, blessing, I will bless you. Now, what is the blessing of Abraham? According to Scripture, the blessing of Abraham that the Bible speaks about in Galatians is not monetary blessing. The blessing of Abraham found in Genesis 3, 8 through 14 is salvation by grace through faith. So let me exalt before you not monetary blessings today, but I want to exalt before you the greatest blessing that anyone could ever receive. And that is knowing God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. He hung on the cross for you and I. So that he took our sin debt there. And now he offers us perfect righteousness through his death, burial, and resurrection. And whosoever will may come. The greatest blessing in the world is to have our sins forgiven. The greatest blessings are not having a, a fancy car. It's to have my sins washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. I would declare to our church today, the greatest blessings are spiritual blessings. Ephesians 1, 3, I bless you with all spiritual blessings. God has poured his blessing on us. We have forgiveness of sins. We have reconciliation with the Father. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have a promise of a glorious future. We are blessed, blessed, blessed. 
Those are the greatest blessings. In fact, Paul told the Corinthians that spiritual blessings outweigh monetary blessings. He said this in 1 Corinthians 9-11. Listen, he said, If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing that we reap material things? In other words, he's saying, we've given you the very word of God. We've given you the riches of heaven through his word. And you think it's a big deal that you share a monetary offering? No, he's saying spiritual blessings are the greater blessings. What I would say to us, and I need to be quick here, because really this is a whole message within itself. But I would say this, that we are warned about pursuing wealth in the New Testament. There is more negative said about money than positive. And we are warned that the pursuing of wealth will destroy your spiritual life. It will pierce you through with many sorrows. We see an illustration of that in the book of Luke chapter 10. We see a young man with great possibility. He had a desire for God or he wasn't to run up to Jesus. Jesus gave him incredible promises. And he said this, you need to give all away. Give away everything to the poor and follow me. And the Bible said that that man walked away with his wealth, but he really walked away a poor man. He walked away with poverty because this struggle, this struggle with money. There are many people, I believe there are probably multitudes, if we, truth were really known, multitudes of people through the, through, down through the two millennia that have wanted to follow Jesus. Their heart was warm toward God, but they began, to, they began to think about the cost. They began to weigh, if I really serve Jesus, what will it cost me? And they chose money over God. You can't serve God and mammon. They're, they're both exclusive. Our worship to God is exclusive, or the worship of money is exclusive. You can't do both at, at the same time. And so therefore, we need to be warned. What I would say is this. That there are people in this life that God does bless in unusual ways. That doesn't mean that everyone's going to get that. I was on a golf course back a few months ago with a gentleman that is incredibly wealthy. I'm, I'm talking about really wealthy. He looked at me and he said, I have more money than I will ever spend in my lifetime. In fact, he said it this way. I'll quote him. I have twice as much money as I will ever need. God does bless people, some people in unusual ways. And what the scripture teaches, when God in his mercy and sovereignty chooses to do that with somebody's life, they have a greater responsibility to share and be generous with the work of God. Even Joseph of Arimathea gave Jesus a tomb that he didn't even own, but he gave it to Jesus. And I believe that there is a gift of giving I believe there are people that God has blessed and they will bless the work of God so we can preach the gospel and we can build the work. What do we do then, Pastor? First of all, that we are to be content with what we have. Be content. And also, we can trust God to meet every need. Amen. Look at the sparrow. Look at the lilies. You can trust God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all of these things shall be. Remember what David said? 
David said, I've been young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. God is the one who will take care of each and every one of us. We can trust him. We can trust him. Okay, now I'm back to Sarah. He promised them personal blessing. Then he promised, I I just wrote in my notes, prophetic usefulness. He said, and so you shall be a blessing. God in his sovereignty chose these people. You know, God is a God who elects to choose. He chooses to use people the way that he wants to use them. We should not be jealous of how God uses people. If God uses something, someone in a greater way than we're used, we should rejoice in that because we have the grace to do what God's called us to do. That's why it's called the body of Christ. And so if we see a genuine man or woman of God truly, truly being used by God, we need to say, thank you, Jesus, that your name is being exalted. God chose to use Abraham and Sarah in in an incredible way. But I would also say this to you, that God saved you to use you. He wants to use you. He saved you to bring glory and honor to his name and be a part of the church so the manifold wisdom of God would be proclaimed. Listen to this. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You were created in Christ. You were saved. God created redemption. We didn't create it. Not by the works of our hands. The redemption is a creation of God. Created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works. Notice, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Your path has already been laid out. Your calling has already been laid out. The moment you were saved, He knew what He had called you to do. And you need to know that His plan for you is perfect. And you have an anointing to do what God has called you to do. Prophetic usefulness. And then... I just thought prolific usefulness. All the world would be blessed through Abraham and Sarah. How? Go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. Everybody can be blessed. The whole world can be blessed. Central America can be blessed. Far reaches of Siberia, to which I've been to. I was way, way out, 100 miles north of Mongolia one time. I ain't got no business out there. Come on. You say, well, what were you doing there? Were you on vacation? In Siberia? Are you kidding me? It's actually very beautiful. Russia's very beautiful. Largest freshwater lake in the world, Lake Baikal. It's right there at Irkutsk where we were. What did you do there, Pastor? We were allowed by the school system to go into high schools and take a little pamphlet, which was not, nothing more than the greater than the it was the Gospel of John with questions in the back. The pure scripture with questions in the back. I was allowed to go in classrooms. Many other ministers were there. They took their teams out to schools. And we were allowed to share the message of Jesus Christ. Why? Because our father Abraham was supposed to bless the world. And that blessing was going to come through his seed, singular, through Jesus Christ. 
Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Come on. Go into all the world. That's a call of God in our lives. Go into all the world. Are you hearing me? Trinity Life Church, go into all the world. Let's go to our city, the highways, the hedges. Let's reach them before it's too late. Let's build a church here before it's too late. People are dying, lost. We need to tell them they can be blessed. They can know Jesus. And then a powerful miracle was in God's plan for Abraham and Sarah. Even Sarah. And why was there a powerful miracle? Because Sarah was barren. And now, she's past the years of childbearing. She's 90. Hear this. The Lord may have to move a mountain... To do what he's told you he's going to do. But there is no mountain. That can stand before my God. There is no difficulty. There is no sea that he can't part. There is no mountain that he can't move. There is no fiery furnace that he cannot quench. If God has said it. He'll move heaven and earth. Because his words are true. And God said to Abraham and Sarah. You shall have a child through Sarah. And it was going to take a miracle. But we serve the miracle God. God is able. He had asked Sarah and Abraham, is anything, when she laughed at the promise, we don't see any faith in Sarah in the Old Testament. Doubt and scheming and trying to figure out on her own how the promise is going to come to pass. And as Sarah was listening on the other side of the tent flap, The Lord Jesus, the Lord Jehovah, said to Abraham, because Abraham saw Jesus' day and rejoiced in it, according to John. This time next year, the Lord said, notice, and I'm quoting, but it's there. This time next year, I will visit. Listen, not not you're going to do this because it's going to take a miracle. I will come and I will do it. Sarah laughed at the promise of God. There was no faith there. She laughed. And then he said, why did Sarah laugh? She lied and said, I didn't laugh. He said, you did laugh. Is anything too hard for the Lord? We serve a God of amazing power. We serve a God that can fulfill his promise We see his power. We see his miracles. We see it in creation. We see it in resurrection. We see it in miracles. We serve a God that knows no no limits. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or even that we think when God gives a promise. Listen, not us coming up with something and then thinking, no, I'm saying when God gives his will and his promise, he will do it. And you know that. We should be encouraged by the story. The Lord used this story of Abraham and Sarah to encourage, listen, to encourage a little remnant of the Jews who are maybe like you today. Maybe you feel discouraged in your life. There was a little remnant of the Jews, just a little remnant. And the Lord said to the remnant, 
He had given them promise. I'm going to bring you home. I'm going to bless you. You're going to flourish again. There's hope and there's a future for you. That whole thing. I know the promise. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you and to give you a future and a hope. That was a promise to the remnant that was going to return from captivity. They were saying, do I even have a future? All the promises. How is all this going to happen? And God said, I'm going to do it because I've given my promise to do it. And the Lord said this, if you could put this on the screen, to a little remnant. He uses Abraham and Sarah, Isaiah 51, 1 through 3. Listen to me. Listen to me, the Lord says. You who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah. Look, notice, who gave birth to you in pain. When he, when he was but one, when he was but one, I called you. You little remnant, remember Abraham? You've got a remnant. He didn't even have a remnant. He didn't even have one at the time, but he was just one. Him and Sarah, and they were barren, and I was going to give my promise, and there were going to be a multitude as the stars of the sky, or the sand of the seashore. I will fulfill my promise. No matter what it looks like. And then he says, look to them, to the little remnant of the Jews. And then verse 3, indeed, the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. And her wilderness, he will make like Eden. Look at that. And her desert, like a garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and sound and the sound and, and sound of melody. He's saying this, it looks bad now. The remnant, you may look hopeless now, but wait, I haven't moved yet. You're going to go home. It's going to flourish again. I'm going to bless again. I'm going to work again. Look at Abraham. Look what I did. They doubted the promise. But even Sarah, at the end, God gave her the ability to do it. And I will give you the ability to do what I've called you to do. And he says, be encouraged. What do we need to do? We need to wait. On the promise of God. I know it's hard to wait. It's really hard to wait. The Lord is sovereignly working out his plan. And we need to trust him. Learning to wait on God. Learning to wait on his promise. Learning to wait on his plan. It's a lesson we all have to learn. We have to learn it as a congregation. We have to learn it personally. To wait on the promise of God. What do we do during our waiting seasons? Four things very quickly. Number one, you need to feed your faith during the waiting seasons. As you read the narrative of Abraham and Sarah, several times the Lord would show up. And then he would encourage. He said, look at the stars of the sky. Look at the sands of the seashore. He would come back and give the promise over and over and over again. Doubt is a devil that will pursue you. Doubt is a devil that will harass you. Unbelief will rob you. And you have to fight it by feeding over and over again on the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Secondly, you need to fight your fears. I think Sarah, as the years went by, she felt like the Lord's passed me by. The Lord's passed me by. I think that's a battle that Sarah engaged in her whole life. The Lord's passed me by. 
I thought I heard a promise from the Lord. I thought this is what God said. But look, it's just the years are clicking off. You've got to fight your fears. The whole thing with Hagar was about fear that we may not get the promise. So I've got to do something. God said we're going to have a child. Well, the custom in that, you know, it looks very immoral to us from, from Western eyes. But what Sarah did by giving Hagar to produce a child was very common in that day. It wasn't an immoral thing. Very common in that Eastern culture. But all of that was fear. I find that when God's truly moving in a person's heart, when the Lord's moving, there's a rest, there's a peace, there's a comfort. There's a sense of quietness in our souls. But when the enemy, when, when flesh is involved, there's all, I've got to do something. It's going to pass me by. And this is what happened to Sarah. Sarah's saying, I've got to do something. And she's, she's trying to look at all the angles. And I know what happened. What happened is that she started doing what we do. Instead of saying, this is what God has said. She started rationalizing, well, maybe, maybe, maybe there's room for me to kind of, maybe the Lord needs my help. You've got to fight your fears. And then, I would say this, you've got to forget yourself. We've got to forget ourselves. We've got to get rid of self-pity. She's looking around at other mothers. She's looking around, and she, then she starts feeling sorry. And I can tell you, the enemy will jump in the, on that self-pity boat. He'll jump in on your shoulder and say, look at how bad you have it. And that will destroy faith. And then we conclude. We have, to, we have to forbid and reject unwise counsel. Here's Sarah. And Sarah needed to guard her thoughts, number one. And she needed to guard her words. But somehow she let unbelief come in. She let flesh come in. And then all of a sudden, she got Abraham in on the compromise. Do you realize when we have a failure in faith, we pull the whole church down. We pull our family down. We pull our kids down. We've got to guard our thoughts. We've got to guard our words. We have to guard our lives because it's more than just our little world. We're a part of the body of Christ. And what happened is a fiery dart from the enemy came to Sarah. And suggested another plan. She persuaded Abraham. And she pulled him down in disobedience. Though it was his responsibility. Not her fault. Now look at me. Look at me. Listen to this on the screen. I hope this is there. When we try to do carnally what God intends to do supernaturally. We hurt ourselves. We hurt our families, and we hurt our future. Did you hear that? When we do carnally what God has purposed to do supernaturally, we hurt ourselves, we hurt our family, and we hinder our future. When you look at the story of Sarah and Abraham and Hagar, you realize Hagar was hurt because she was pulled into this drama. She didn't have a say. She was pulled into this family drama. It hurt Hagar. It hurt Abraham because later he had to separate from Ishmael, a son he loved. Sarah hurt herself because of the tension she brought on her own family. 
And guess what? Our whole world is hurt today between the conflict between Jews and Arab nations. Think about this. God means what he says. God was clear in his communication to Abraham that he would have, Abraham would have a child through Sarah. And here's what it said. When the time came for the promise to be fulfilled, here's what Hebrews 11.11 says. She received the ability. Hear that? She received the ability. That word ability is from the same word family group. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Dunamis, power, supernatural power in action. Sarah could never have produced this. She could never in a million years. Barren and now 90. But when the time came, God stepped in and gave her the ability. Here's the application. God has called us to accomplish his will. And we too need the Lord's ability. We too need the Lord's strength. Or we'll never be able to do it no more than Sarah could do the will of God. Why? Because we can't do naturally what God intends to do supernaturally. We will fail every single time. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Lord to give us the ability to do His plan, His purpose, and His will. And the answer, Holy Spirit. Say that with me. Holy Spirit. He is the answer. Our musicians are coming. Our prayer brothers are coming. The church is standing. Jesus. We want to pray and bless you today and ask the Lord to bless you. In just a moment, as they begin to worship just a little bit, I'm going to ask everyone that will, everyone that can. And physically, I know some of our seniors are not physically able to come. We will come to you. We will lay hands on you. We will anoint you with oil and ask the Lord to bless you. Whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do, just be open to that. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit... When we ask the Lord, He doesn't give us a stone if we ask Him for a bread. He doesn't give us a serpent if we ask for a fish. I love this verse. From memory search, 11, 13, Luke. But He gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Now listen to this. The great Greek scholar, Offord, I think is his name. He said this of that text. This is not speaking of the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. But he says, this, these are manifestations of the Holy Spirit that God gives when His people ask Him. The Lord wants to bless you and He wants to touch you. Your life today. Would you join us? We want to pray over you. And let's come. Let's worship. Stephanie, would you begin to worship?